Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to our podcast series on our Digital Nomad Tax Guide. Now, this is a bonus episode for our Digital digital Nomad folks. If you missed part one, you're going to want to go back and listen to that first. That came out last Thursday. These uh, podcasts are going to be cumulative. So we're going to have part two today, which really covers part two and three of the series, and then the third episode tomorrow, which will cover parts four and five. So today, I will be discussing the foreign housing exclusion and issues regarding state tax residency, which are parts two and three of our tax guide, um, respectively. So let's dive straight in. I, again, will be reading this blog post to you. It's kind of like an audio book format, but and I could call it an audio blog. Maybe I should start that. Maybe our oh, we do about a blog post a month. Maybe I should start calling these episodes our audio blogs. So let's get started with an introduction. Technically, the foreign housing exclusion is just part of the foreign earned income exclusion, which is what we covered in part one. Uh, so make sure you go listen again. For simplicity, I'm separating the two, two concepts and giving them entirely different names and sections. The foreign housing exclusion allows taxpayers to increase their income exclusion amount based on the based on housing expenses paid throughout the year. The purpose of this is to help save you some money on your housing, obviously. So let's dig into the baseline rule. To be eligible to claim a foreign earned income exclusion, um, or sorry, I should say the foreign housing exclusion, a taxpayer must meet the following conditions. One, the taxpayer must qualify for and claim the foreign earned income exclusion. Two, the taxpayer must have qualified foreign housing expenses. Three, the taxpayer must have paid for those housing expenses through employer-provided funds. Kind of. We'll talk about that one. And four, the housing expenses must exceed the base amount specified based on the location in which the expenses are incurred. Okay, so that's a lot. Let's dig into this. The third part of the above rule requires that a taxpayer pay for their housing expenses with employer-provided funds. So obviously, if a taxpayer is self-employed, she would not meet this rule. However, this exception... Uh, There is an exception to this rule for those making over the foreign earned income exclusion amount of $112,000 in 2022. So continue reading if that is applicable to you. I'll break down each of these four requirements. So one, remember, number one was you have to uh, qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. Again, that's covered in the past episode. Two, qualified foreign housing expenses. Qualified foreign housing expenses include rent and utilities, except for telephone, TV, and internet, parking fees, leasing fees, repair costs, and furniture. Three, employer-provided funds. For purposes of this requirement, employer-provided funds are any amounts paid to you by your employer where that amount is also included 
in your gross income, unless the employer pays the expenses directly and the employee is not required to lump the value of those paid expenses into their income. The amounts paid towards expenses should be part of gross income. Sorry, I'm chuckling because my dog is beside me on the sofa and she keeps rooting around, you know, as like small terriers do. She's like digging all over my blanket and pillows to make the most comfortable bed possible. All right. Where were we? Although this rule seems pretty black and white, there is a big exception. This exception only applies with those to those with income over the foreign earned income exclusion amount, which was $112,000 in 2022. The tax code has a provision allowing special rules where housing expenses are not provided by an employer. Self-employed individuals may deduct the lesser of their qualified housing expenses as calculated in part C below or their amount of foreign earned income in excess of the excludable amount. I know that's confusing. Allow me to illustrate with an example. Assume a taxpayer has $154,100 of foreign earned income. In 2018, the exclusion limit is $104,100. Therefore, $50,000 of the taxpayer's income is excludable. Assume also that taxpayer has $40,000 in qualified housing costs. Hypothetically, only $25,000 of that $40,000 is excludable housing costs due to the calculations discussed below. The taxpayer has $25,000 of deductible housing costs and $50,000 of non-excludable income. The tax code allows the taxpayer a deduction equal to the smaller of those two numbers. Here, that would be the $24,000. Note that I'm underlining deduction here because this amount is a deduction and not an income exclusion like the foreign earned income exclusion. In this example, the taxpayer has an exclusion of $104,100 and a deduction of $24,000. Let's change up the example sum and make the taxpayer's income $114,100. Now the non-excluded amount of income is only $10,000. $10,000 is less than the $24,000 of housing costs, so the $10,000 is the deductible amount. I noted above that this exception only applies to those making above the exclusion amount. That's because where a taxpayer's income is less than the exclusion amount, um, no amount over the threshold is considered. The amount over the exclusion amount is $0. The lesser of $0 in housing costs is always going to be the housing costs. Location-based amounts. This bit is rather complicated and is calculated in the steps below under amount to be excluded. Now, I could easily write five pages on exactly the how the housing exclusion is to be calculated. Instead, I provide in the blog post a simplified explanation of how, of how the exclusion amount is calculated and what it means uh, for you as a digital nomad. The steps assume that you were in more than one country during the tax year. If you only make it through a couple steps and think, oh, holy shit, I don't want to go through this, just skip to the key takeaway section, which is what we're going to do here on the podcast. If you want to go through all 12 of the steps, click over to the blog post. So let's go through, um, oh, let's go down to our key takeaways. Okay. So this is going to wrap up our section on the housing exclusion, which I know is fairly complicated. Don't get lost in the weeds because our next section on state tax residency is gonna be super helpful. So our key takeaways for the housing exclusion, if you did not follow all the rules and math in this post, the takeaways are this. 
If you either one, have an employer and you incur out-of-pocket living expense costs or two, are self-employed making over the exclusion amount, you most likely can take either an exemption or deduction for some of your living expenses. The exemption slash deduction amount is tied to the city or cities in which you reside based on expected cost of living in that city. Therefore, you can't cheat the system by renting a mansion in a less expensive country. The foreign earned income exclusion and housing exemption and deduction are fairly complex. If you think you could benefit, hire a tax preparer with expertise on these issues. A lot of this information, just uh, kind of as an aside, a lot of the information covered in this is not provided in order for you to like know everything and to be able to do all of this on your own. It's to give you enough information to know what options are available to you so that you can possibly make some strategic decisions to save taxes, but more likely just know that you might qualify so you can bring it to the attention of your tax professional, see if they have more answers. And if not, you can find a tax professional who does have. Okay. So that was our part two in the series. We're now going to go to part three, our part three post, which is issues regarding state tax residency. So let's start with residency rules. Some states apply a basic rule like the IRS, where they will tax residents on all income, regardless of where it was earned. However, each state defines resident a little bit differently. California considers a person a resident if the person is present in California for uh, any reason other than a temporary or transitory purpose, or if the person is domiciled in California but located outside of California for a temporary or transitory purpose. Determining a person's domicile is tricky because it's an issue of intent. The state looks to whether a person who is absent has an intent to return to the state. This is important because California is likely to consider any nomads who were in California before they began traveling to be domiciled and therefore residents of California, thereby taxing all of their income. New York's rules are very similar to California, but New York does provide a carve out for individuals who spent less than 30 days in New York for the tax year and maintained a permanent place of abode outside of New York. There are some other more complex exceptions as well. So side note before we continue, the reason why we really, really care about state tax residency issues is because states don't have all the same benefits that the IRS has. They don't have the foreign earned income exclusion, okay? So even if you're outside of the US for 340 days during the year, that doesn't mean that you're gonna be exempt from paying, for example, the state of California tax. So you could end up paying more in state taxes than you do federal taxes. And that's important to know because a lot of people do not plan and prepare for that. There are some strategic decisions that you can make in order to change your residency to a lower tax state before you travel, and that's what we're discussing in this section. So back to this residency rule section. Washington state has more lax uh, laws and provides that a person is a resident if she maintains a residence in Washington for personal use. So I'm just giving examples of different states rules now. As you can see, the residency rules vary widely. They're also very important. If, tax, if a taxpayer is earning its income abroad, most states are only going to tax that income if the taxpayer is a resident of the state. In short, the yes-no answer to the residency question determines which state or states can tax you. It could be possible for state tax purposes to not be a resident of any state. If you want to dig into specific state rules more deeply, start with a Google search of 
insert state name, residency, tax rules. Try to find the information on the state's official tax authority website. Source rules. California's tax laws provide that residents are taxed on all income. Non-residents are only taxed on income from California sources. This is where sourcing rules come into play. Wages are sourced to where the services are performed, generally. If you perform services for an employer while living in Brazil, uh, California would consider those wages to be Brazilian sourced income. You would only be taxed on those wages if you were a California resident. Similarly, business or freelance income is sourced to where the business is carried on. Items like real estate are based on the physical location of that real estate. This makes sense. If you sell a house in California, it's California sourced income. New York, again, applies very similar rules. Non-residents are only taxed on New York sourced income and the sourcing rules are nearly, nearly identical to California. So let's briefly talk about tax rates across the state. To complicate things a little bit more, each state has different state income tax rates. So there are some states, uh, eight states to be specific, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Utah that have flat tax rates ranging from 3% to 5%, meaning regardless of your income level, you're taxed at one tax rate. So those are the states with flat tax. Some states have no income tax. So these include Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. Two other states, Tennessee and New Hampshire, only tax a dividend and interest income. A lot of Californians, um, the kind of cliche is that they move you know, either to Texas or Tennessee to save income taxes. And the joke I've heard I uh, don't know how accurate this is, is they say the Democrats moved to Austin, Texas to save ta on taxes, and the Republicans moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Just kind of a joke. Don't know if that's true. Um, I'm kind of surprised that more people don't move to Washington state, but maybe that has more to do with the cost of living like in the Seattle area, which is where I would assume most people would go. Um, Florida also has no income tax. Um, Alaska, Nevada, South Dakota, and Wyoming, I'm assuming, are not as popular for people to move to in order to save taxes. Um, although, you know, like Vegas has its, you know, pluses and minuses, I suppose. Okay, all the other states have graduated tax rates. These tax brackets work similar to federal tax rates. The states with the highest income tax rates in order from highest to lowest are California, uh, and these are the high, the highest tax rate at the highest marginal rate, meaning the uh, rate that like the richest people would pay. So in California, it tops out at 13.3%, Oregon, 9.9%, and then Minnesota, Iowa, New Jersey, Vermont, DC, New York, Hawaii, Wisconsin. So those aren't all the states. Those are the states with the highest marginal state income tax rate. Other taxes. Income tax, of course, is not the only issue regarding state tax, state taxes. Most states also have sales tax and property tax. As a nomad, you likely need not concern yourself a whole lot with sales tax as it won't be applicable if you're not buying goods in your home state. Property tax, however, could be a consideration if you plan to own property. The highest property tax states are New Jersey at 2.38%, Illinois, New Hampshire, and then Connecticut. Surprisingly, at least to me, uh, was that Hawaii has the lowest sales tax rate at 0.28%. Um, 
I wrote in my blog post, not surprising because of tourism, I guess, but that, that actually is surprising because I usually, I usually think of states with a lot of tourism having higher sales tax in order to capitalize on all of the people that are traveling there and, and buying goods and things. Anyhow, we're not diving too deep into that. The point in this little section is just to consider and balance income tax with property tax considerations. New Hampshire has no income tax on business income, but they have a high property tax. So if you don't own property, New Hampshire could be a great place to be domiciled, just to give you an example. Local tax. Some states also allow local income taxes. Those states include Alabama, Colorado, Delaware, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Michigan, Missouri, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Um, I feel like California should also be on this list. Google, if, if I didn't mention your state, just don't assume that I'm automatically correct. Do your own research um, because things change and I am capable of making mistakes as well. Note that the District of Columbia is considered a local tax, but the rate is higher than most cities as it's effectively treated as a state tax and in keeping with state tax rates. In most states, only the larger cities imply impose local taxes. Here's a sampling of cities in their rates. Philadelphia, 3.9%. New York City, 29 to 3.6%. And Portland, 0.6%. Note that California has the highest income tax, but has no local income taxes. I guess what I was tripped up about is in California, and there may be many states like this, I suppose we don't have a separate local tax um, oh, wait, this is income tax. So I'm getting all sorts of confused. You can see how complicated this is. California has varying sales tax raised by city, not income tax. So there are some cities that have extra income tax. That's really huge. Philadelphia, 3.9%. That's on top of Pennsylvania state taxes and IRS federal taxes. So that is a lot, really. When added to their state tax rates, those cities end up rivaling California as some of the highest tax places to live. Similarly, Illinois has relatively high state tax and property tax, but they have no local tax. So planning considerations. We went through all this background information just to get to our planning considerations. At this point, you might be thinking, I'm so overwhelmed. What the hell am I supposed to do with this information? Let's assume you are from Vermont, the state with the sixth highest income tax in the U.S. Maybe, it'd be, maybe it would be worth taking steps to change your tax residency before traveling the world. Moving a couple hours over to New Hampshire, who only tax interest and dividends, could mean a 7 plus percent uh, savings, so more money in your pocket come tax time. As noted earlier, some states make it more difficult to transfer residency. California typically presumes an individual who was a resident still to be a resident unless that individual affirmatively proves their non-residency. Here are some proactive steps individuals can take to show an intent of changing residency. They can get a new driver's license in a new state, transfer bank accounts, get a new library card, change voter registration. If you own a home in the state from which you are trying to move, renting it on a longer term lease will help show that you are no longer intended to live there. Also be sure not to have any facts that would help a revenue agent from the former state argue that you never gave up your residency. For example, if you have a kid receiving in-state tuition in New York, that may be a problem if you're now claiming to be a resident of Pennsylvania after having moved from New York. You may be asking how this information comes into play. Let's use an example. 
Assume a taxpayer has been living in California for five years. He, he has family in Washington state. He wants to be a digital nomad, but still plans to come back to California a couple times a year to visit friends. The taxpayer leaves California at the end of January, travels most of the year, but goes back to California um, twice for 10 days each. When he goes back, he stays at in a home that he owns the rest of the year. He rents it out on Airbnb. The following April, he files his tax return. He states that he is a resident of Washington because he moved most of his belongings into his parents' garage. Sometime thereafter, the California Franchise Tax Board sends this taxpayer a letter saying he owes $10,000 on his foreign earned income because he was still a resident of California while traveling. The taxpayer hires a savvy tax professional to deal with the FTB on his behalf. As the taxpayer's lawyer, I would use whatever facts I could to help show that the taxpayer is no longer a resident of California. If the taxpayer only moved his belongings to his parents and took no other steps listed above, uh, I probably would be unsuccessful in that argument. The FTB will likely counter that since the taxpayer merely rented his home on Airbnb, he clearly had an intent to move back in once he stopped traveling. Remember the rule in California is that the person is domiciled in the state if they are transitory but have an intent to return. If the taxpayer instead sold his home, got a new state ID in Washington, switched banks, and changed his voter registration, uh, it would be much easier to argue that they are no longer a resident of California. And again, remember that in this case, we're talking about you know the potential of five, ten thousand dollars in state taxes. So that can be a lot of savings. Now, to wrap up this episode, if you're like, okay, that's a lot to consider. I am not going to rec I typically am not going to recommend that someone actually like uproot their lives and move all their stuff if they want to go traveling for a year. All right. If you want to travel for a year and you live in a high tax state, it's probably not worth you trying to change your residency because you do have an intent, especially if you have an, in uh, an intent to move back to that state once you get back. Now, if you're like, all right, I moved to California for college and then I worked there for five years and now I want to go travel. And I definitely plan on, you know, like I could say in my case, moving back home to Indiana after I'm done traveling, then yeah, it would be worth your effort to get your residency changed before you start traveling. But if you don't intend to do that, it might not be worth the trouble. So this is just all stuff for you to consider. I hope this was helpful. Uh, in our next episode, which will come out tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the foreign tax credit and some banking requirements for digital nomads. So stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share with your friends if you're getting a lot out of it. And I wish you the best, my friend. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.